0: Hi, Ben. Thank you.
1: All right. So yeah, I'm looking, uh, looking forward to this. Uh, I, I think that, um, God, was it a couple weeks or something? Uh, I had, uh, just posted a clip from the main show on YouTube. Um, where i was talking to ashley frowley and doug laid about uh, essentially about marxism and, and ethics and uh you'd mentioned in the uh the comments when i posted it that you had just uh finished uh, defended i think actually uh if so congratulations doctor uh, Thank you. uh a, a dissertation uh university of south Florida uh on on that very subject right and so i uh, thought you know yeah should uh, should have you on to uh to talk about it so so you want to just say who you are and you know what the dissertation's about
0: yeah so um so my name is uh, sam badger i guess uh, dr badger now uh <laughs> not not used to that but i don't i don't know if I, it does feel weird um so yeah i got my phd here at the university of south florida um i'm also have been the, involved in my labor union so i've been doing a lot of the practical stuff too mm-hmm. um and i'm also an adjunct professor at a bunch of different places sure. um you know i got gotta make ends meet because i got a you know a family so <laughs> um yeah um, i did so i uh, decided to do my dissertation on um, Marx and ethics are basically the question of whether or not Marx has an ethics and if he does, what does that ethics look like? It was always kind of the question that, you know, got me into philosophy in the first place, or one of them at least, um, oh. when I was, a, you know, a kid. So um, that's kind of what I kept gravitating to. I also did my master's thesis on something similar. It was like McDowell and Marx and, um, you know, uh, that... So, <laughs> This has been kind of like a consistent theme, I guess, I keep returning to is, is, uh, you know, how how does the working class, you know, what, what kind of people are the working class? What does Marx think the working class are? And uh, how do they perceive the world and what kind of values come out of that experience? Um, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So, um. So I, I guess like one way to sort of start us into this, uh, is to, uh, you know, is to think about like maybe some larger reasons where he, before we even get into like sort of what kind of, um, you know, ethical commitments you're, you're seeing in, uh, in Marx and like how you're theorizing those, um, to, to sort of think about the, um, uh, the like broader question of like why you know it might seem like even sort of an odd question to to ask you know from a from a certain perspective right i mean like this is something like um you know it's it's not what i did academic work in but i mean this is something that i've uh you know i've certainly been interested in for for a very long time i mean, when i was applying to uh you know, masters programs back in like the nineteenth century. Sometime uh, I remember the uh, the uh, writing sample that I used was about you know Marx and and Rawls, uh, and um, you know so it's it's certainly some you know something I've been thinking about in different ways for a long time. But I I could see somebody saying. I mean, I, I shouldn't even say it that way. I can see them saying people have said, right, you know, numerous times yes. in, uh, in, in conversations, one way or another, right, that it's sort of this whole sort of project of uh, tried to think about like moral theory with regard to Marx is sort of misguided, or you're, you know, it's kind of a, uh, you know, I don't know, try to pick a, you know, square peg in a round hole or something, right, you know, that they have a that. Uh, Because that's not, you know, that's not what Marx is up to in a fundamental way, and not just that, right, which I think you can kind of take that on board that it's like not Marx's primary interest, but like, that maybe even like a lot of people think for, for one reason or another, I think have various reasons for thinking that like, there's something about uh, Marx's view of the world, historical materialism, something like that, that might even in some Fundamental sense, just just not really, maybe even not really be compatible with the project of sort of thinking through, you know, kind of questions of moral philosophy, or that like is sort of intrinsically hostile to to raising those questions, or something like that, right? So,
2: yeah. Uh,
1: so, so I wonder if we can just kind of start with like kind of you thinking through like those questions, the sort of like, um, is this even like a I don't know, some sort of category mistake or something to to think about Marx this way?
0: Yeah, I I think that's a really important uh, question. And, uh, you know, a lot of the pretty, you know, important interpreters of Marx, um, I mean, Althusser is one that, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, he's he's criticizing humanism more specifically, but, you know, when he attacks humanism, I mean, really like any kind of uh, normative reading of Marx seems to get like fundamentally undermined. Uh but also Wood and Tucker, these uh readers of Marx, um like for them, and Marx seems to himself say things that might suggest it in multiple places. Like, you know, the German ideology, he says that, you know, moralism is is not what we're doing, communism isn't moralism, uh we shouldn't focus on moral arguments. And he does, you know, actively you know, avoid moral arguments wherever possible, at least explicitly moral arguments. So yeah. you know, I think there's one easy reading and it's a, it's a very strong reading and easy to justify. Um, and Alan Wood does a pretty good job justifying it. So I have to respond a lot to uh, his arguments. But um, I think the, the argument goes that for, for Marx, morality is just an instrument of, of ruling class ideology Mm -hmm. And that as a consequence, you know, you actually want to be able to see past morality. You want to see it as a as a non-issue. And when that happens, then you can really be truly revolutionary because you don't care about, you know, bourgeois notions like rights or um, obligations to the state or Uh, any of these other, you know, normative mm -hmm. claims that the, the ruling class might make.
1: Um well no, what were you gonna say?
0: Um well I think another argument that Wood makes, which I guess is is pretty interesting, maybe compelling is that um although I disagree with it, is that uh the, the evils of capitalism are, you know, mechanistic, so they come about just because of like the you know, day-to-day functionings of capitalism and, you know, Marx says this numerous times, you know, if, if you made the ruling class more moral, you wouldn't like, you'd still have the problem. You wouldn't, you wouldn't solve the fundamental issue. Um, because it, it's just the mechanical operations of capitalism. And, uh, we're almost, there's there's almost like a necessary fate that we're going to be alienated and crushed and exploited. Um, which seems to take any responsibility away, which, which, you know, it's an important part of like a, like a moral theory is, is ascribing personal responsibility and uh, mm-hmm. blame for actions and stuff. So. Um...
1: Got it. Yeah. No. So, okay. So, so those are like a couple of the reasons that people have uh, people have often uh, questioned it. So it's like, there's the, there's like a pretty straightforward argument from what Marx himself says that I think is, you know, I should say, I think is much stronger if you're talking about certain early texts, uh, than, than if you're, um, uh, then with, with later stuff. I mean, I, I think, you know, like the German ideology, you know, is definitely the best, um, you know, the best case, right. You know, I, I think you're, I think the sort of text, you know, textually that gets thinner later on, but, um, but you know, it is certainly something that Marx, at certain points, you know, says, and um, uh, and then yeah, there's okay. So there's the there's the argument that uh, that Marx is um, that like if you're talking about morality, then like you're talking about uh, sort of individual decision making, you know, and that's uh, and that's sort of importantly not the point, right? Like that if they have a that. Um, and I think it is absolutely true, right? You know that the that um, you know Marx Marx's analysis of of capitalism. I mean, it's the you know I mean, look if the problem were just that it's like the uh, that people uh, that you know, like individual decision makers, right? Individual capitalists, and you know, uh, and other you know and other powerful decision makers just just you know aren't good enough people, right? I mean that that would clearly be a very very different analysis uh then maybe to that you know we can sort of add a third thing which not i guess i guess you kind of said this already right you know the thing about you know morality representing ruling class interests but it's like um you know i think more broadly sometimes there's something like a meta-ethical uh worry going on that um that given uh i don't know like given some kind of claims that you know you can derive from historical materialism that uh um you know ideology or you know social conscious you know this, uh you know derives from from material conditions so we don't like we sort of don't have access to any kind of morality that goes beyond that um so these are all some of the i think you know i think like a fair uh uh like I, I think a fair canvassing of uh, of some of the reasons why people think that like sort of asking what are Marx's moral views and can we like sort of systematically flesh them out you know is just a is just a project. But clearly you're not convinced that it's a bad project, right? Clearly you think it's a good one. So um, so so I I want to both kind of hear like a little bit of like why you don't find any of that compelling, uh, and then then we can go into like you know like what like what your actual reading is.
0: yeah so i think uh i mean i think there's a couple reasons it's like none of those reasons are uh particularly compelling um first off well you know and i, I some of this by the way I, also, I actually get it from Engels as well not marx himself but stuff from like anti-during which was edited by marx and so i i feel fairly safe to say that this isn't just like angles going off on a tangent um but um they do talk as well about a proletarian morality like a working class morality not just you know the reigning morality of the superstructure you know like the workers make moral claims um and you know he goes into great detail about their moral claims and you know, the fact that he doesn't think that moral arguments will succeed doesn't mean that he thinks that, you know, there's not like a fundamentally, you know, a moral issue there. You know, it's just, you know, moral problems need to be addressed often through, through non-moral means or can't simply be addressed through moral means. I mean, there may be, you know, some kind of uh, moral component, like, you know, convincing fellow workers that, you know, going on strike or something is, is better than, you um, you know, just continuing to toil, even though it's like a risky option. Uh, it's the morally right thing to do or something. Uh, but clearly, like going on strike is the mechanism that actually achieves change, right. not the, the moral argument. Um, and. I think, you know, some of the arguments as well that he has this big break in in the German ideology, uh, I'm not particularly I mean, there's clearly a, a change that happens after the German ideology and, and kind of during it, but um, I think that you can see some some pretty good echoes of his earlier thinking and mm-hmm. his his later theorizing, uh, particularly you know like the theory of commodification. Like it's it's interesting that Bush actually managed to kind of reverse engineer right Marx's theory of alienation without having yet read the 1844 manuscripts through so, like the theory of commodification um so i mean i think it's it's right to say that there's a change that happens but you know that change i think is is a growth of his methodology it's not Mm. you know suddenly he's like oh well you know morality is is uh you know merely empty ideology um as for the mechanistic criticism i actually i mean there's a pretty interesting passage in, in Marx where he seems to challenge that. I think it's the introduction of, or it's like, or it's one of the prefaces, I think, uh-huh. um, where he writes that uh, the German workers, like right, he's writing capital to the German workers so that they can learn from the experiences of the English workers. Yep. And it's, you know, like the sufferings that are described in capital, you know, they're inevitably going to face them. But he says that they can shorten the suffering and limit it and curtail it if they're conscious of it. Um, which seems to suggest that you know it can't just be mechanical. You know, there's there's got to be some some agency, right? And it, I mean, a whole you know big emphasis on praxis is going to be giving workers that sense of agency, that responsibility um to shorten the birth pangs of the you know future society that he obviously wants um
1: yeah so uh so we see you know i see we do have a call already so but before we take that i, j- I just want to sort of uh, make sure we get to this this point first so like the place i mean the thing that seems right about the mechanistic argument isn't like denying agency even in a way that would deny you know revolutionary agency you know that would deny that you know the german workers can you know shorten their miseries you Mm -hmm. know by taking revolutionary action soon but just that the um that like the problem with capitalism is not a problem with the sort of uh personal morality of of capitalists right i I think that's 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 clearly right um and and you know and, and is is an important argument that marx makes but it's also um seems like a bit of a separate question from like is there something that's like morally preferable about uh, socialism as opposed to to capitalism right i mean like is it is yeah. this just this like this fact about history right you know that the uh, that uh that like oh this is you know this is probably what's coming next or whatever that like would be you could realize that and that could be compatible with any number of attitudes towards it i mean the sort of half jokey thing I would say about this is you can say. You could grant that it was socialism or barbarism, but just say we prefer barbarism. Hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I I think where there's the most obvious room for, and where I think thinking about you know political philosophy, theories of justice, you know, would, would sort of be most obviously relevant uh, is uh, is or you know freedom or flourishing or whatever is uh, is thinking about what what it is that's normatively preferable about um about moving beyond uh beyond capitalism and then um you know i think you could take like the really steely-eyed position here and just say nothing right you know this is just yeah. like uh, ah had feudalism in the past gonna have socialism in the future then the you know the sun's gonna expand to eliminate the possibility of life on earth after that you know and like i i feel yeah. really, you know it's all kind of on the same level uh or one level up from that you could just sort of say well on some sort of purely utilitarian kind of level it's like uh, you're gonna uh have uh i don't know if like capitalism is very like crisis prone or whatever it's it's not like it'll you know there'll be nicer consequences if we if we move beyond that or something like that uh and then like one level up for that you know you could you could have like say like no there's something that's like there are like important values that we can um that we can clearly articulate that are sort of relevant to the struggle for socialism you know why in fact you should like why you should struggle with it why even if you're 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 a a, you know a rank-and-file worker like why you shouldn't just you know scab or try to make a separate you know a side deal with the boss that might be better for you, you know, whatever, why you should do this. So we're like, I know, I mean, I've, I've been kind of looking a little bit today at your dissertation. I know you canvassed a, a, a number of different views, but I mean, where do you ultimately land?
0: Um, I mean, I think my own position is that he has something kind of akin to like a, an Aristotelian view but obviously not quite aristotle's view um and i think the reason why i mean it can't be aristotle's view because you know aristotle is a uh you know a hierarchical guy for aristotle it's you know it's a good thing that you know um the slaves are being led by the the noble aristocrat who can you know because they they have the slavish nature and they they need the virtuous aristocrat there to you know, make their lives better, um, you know, and his, his statements about women, you know, all these other claims that Aristotle makes, like his, his he clearly has a different conception of, of human nature. Um, but what I think they share is the, is a notion of flourishing that ultimately underpins, uh, you know, morbid views of, of both philosophers. And it's a, it's a naturalistic philosophy of ethics in a sense that, you know, I mean, that's, maybe not the best term I've, you know, come across some criticisms of that term, but um, yeah, at least that's one description we, we sometimes give of Aristotle, you know, is that he's not a uh, mechanistic materialist, you know, I mean, he, the mechanistic materialist, like a rejection of Aristotle, he's a, but he is a naturalist. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, you know, what he's looking at is, is, you know, what is the function of the human being? um, and, and, you know, what is the telos of that, that function? And, you know, he decides that it's political action, it's, uh, virtuous activity and it's contemplation, right? That these are the three things that, you know, there may be others in there somewhere, but those are the three things that I, I know that he identifies as a, you know, uh, activity that it creates so encourages flourishing, that's you know, uh, is appropriate to the you know, the function of what it is to be human. Um, Just like, you know, we would talk about a, you know, a flourishing oak tree. And so, um, you know, I think Marx has a similar conception of what it is to live a good life. And we see when, you know, whenever he talks about human capacities being enriched, uh, like he talks about how, you know, as society advances, it, encourages the development of new needs um and and you know that sounds bad i guess that people need more things but what that means is also the fulfillment and realization of those needs mm-hmm. um that you know we're, we're creating the need for theater which gets us to go out and you know watch her play right and so for us, for Mar- you know to, to be engaged in that process you know it's, it's a source of meaning it's a source of personal enrichment, it also enriches others around you, and uh, that's that's your function as an actor, right? Um, as as someone who does that type of labor. Um, and you know, that exists for all different types of, of labor to varying degrees, uh, you know, not unproblematically, right? Uh, There's really clearly going to be types of, of work that are antagonistic to you know the flourishing of other people. You know, uh, so mm-hmm. there's people who make chemical weapons and stuff. So, uh, you know, this is also uh, is social labor. So we have to look at, at not only the effects on the individual, but you know, the, the general society. And this is how he's evaluating labor, right? In in um, the 1844 manuscripts, but also later in Capital when he talks about the fully human education system. Mm-hmm. of the future that he he bases this off uh, Robert Owen, right? He cites Robert Owen's notion of education where you try to enrich everyone by introducing them to all different types of human activity. Um, you know, so you, people, you know, those students in school, instead of, you know, going to a classroom to learn math for six hours before going off to the mines, like in 19th century England, you know, they're, uh, different activities, and everyone is doing a variety of different activities—not just the rich people or the poor people—to um, ensure that everyone has, uh, you know, fully enriched personality, right, with with a variety of different capacities. So he clearly seems to think that that's a good way to be, and that's a, that's a, a lifestyle that people ought to have. and They will find more meaningful and will have, you know, better effects for everyone else in society as compared to his description of, you know, alienated labor, commodified labor. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's the sense in which, you know, we can identify a sort of like a modified Aristotelianism in Marxist philosophy.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, I want to go to uh, Johnny, uh, who's been patiently waited.
3: Uh, so thank you, Ben and Sam. Uh, I kind of feel like I'm definitely out of my league <laughs> here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go. I'm gonna see if you guys can help me out here. First of all, really quick, uh, you know what I've been thinking over the past maybe 15 years in my research and my my quest for finding, I guess, social justice. Right? Uh, I guess I can start with uh, this statement. All political discourse is nothing more than conversation starters, than uh, for conversation starters for religious belief systems of thought. So, uh, I'm a student of Antil, who is uh, a Christian philosopher who has uh, come up with the presuppositional apologetic for the for the Christian faith. So he has that. And uh, I understand that as a way of understanding how it is that you're right, right, when we talk about morals, right, uh, whether I'm, you know, good or bad or whatnot, right? So I have that. And then uh, I've studied a little bit on uh, along the same lines how governments will emphasize either the individual rights or the collective rights. In and, and philosophy, I believe that's called the one and the many. How do you find unity and diversity? So hmm. there's that. And then money, right? So I've been working in the union shop for over 30 years of my life. And over the last during the last contracts, you know, I, it, I saw that we were working longer hours for less money, right? And, uh, and I wondered, what is it? What happened that, you know, this transformation took place? And uh, then I started to understand a little bit about neoliberalism and the ideology of neoliberalism. And uh, so here I am today. I was in a show earlier, right? So this is my a little bit of my background and what I've been thinking about, and you know. Uh, so earlier today, uh, I I got on a show who was a real a couple of real Putin puppets they call themselves, right? And it was wonderful because I I am one who believes that Putin is doing the right thing by his nation and by his people, but I also understand that the moral argument, the moral argument, as Carol Quigley would say in his book tragedy and hope, governments can't afford to be moral. And I think that you made that point earlier, Sam, or maybe you did then, right? And I kind of agree with that. But I find, I find a, a dynamic happening here where in the United States, we're liberals, We emphasize the rights of the individual. And John Mersheimer, in one of his lectures uh, as as a professor in uh, Chicago in international relations, would say the problem with liberalism is that they can't come to first principles. So I see that problem, people trying to figure out how to get over and beyond neoliberalism and fight back. So this program, uh, you know, I I called into this program and they're talking about Putin and all that. And then I asked the question and I'm asking you guys, how is it that a society, how, how can a society overcome the ideology of neoliberalism when it flies in the face of when it flies in the face of the individual's. Well, you could solve the human condition where, you know, the, the, they could be so greedy, but at the same time so so good to each other, right? How, how did that happen? And you know what her answer was, and it was quite interesting. She said the reason why Putin accomplished, accomplished what he did was during, when he took the reins in the 1990s over Yeltsin, the uh, neoliberalism had so raped the country thanks to Yeltsin that the people found themselves in such a bad situation that when when they started to fight back and they had a leader to help them fight back, it was about survival. It was about identifying the ideology and the enemy and saying we're going we're going to overcome. And they came together and you know there they are today. So I guess. Uh, my question for you guys is, you know, in the line of socialism and Marxist thinking, and I don't know much about Marx, right, but I do know that, you know, he, materialism, right, you know, but my, my question, I guess, is how, what is the mechanism, I guess, what is, the, what is it in the individual that says, I'll forego your parties, I'll forego your money and your prestige, I'll do the right thing by the people and by what 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 I as a liberal in America think is right, and how can you get a whole nation to think the same way to fight back? Is All that right. possible?
1: So uh, I want to uh, thank you for that call, uh, Johnny. Okay. I'm going to take um, going to take the uh, the next caller, uh, Gareth, and then maybe go back and, and talk about both uh, both calls at once. Uh, so um, Gareth. Uh, What's on your mind, Gareth? You got to mute yourself.
2: All right, I figured how to do that. Uh, Can you hear me? Yep. Uh, Hi, hi, Sam, uh, and hi, Ben. Um, I was, you you know, I think this is a really interesting thing, and and um, Sam, I'd be very interested in looking at your dissertation and. Um, because I've also uh, long been kind of interested in um, Marx and norm, normativity generally. And, you know, just the perspective that I wanted to put on the table is um, from, you know, we know that Marx was a young Hegelian and we know that he, in the critique of um, Hegel's philosophy of right, he is, he's responding to uh, you know, Hegel on on these questions. And he's saying, you, you know, what one or at least one way of reading that early Marx is that he is agreeing with Hegel that um, what Hegel calls like right, just pure right, you know, just and which can also sometimes be called justice, which is just about, um, you know, what you you know, it's sort of very legalistic sense of what you would be. Uh, violating other people's rights. Um, it's very individualistic. It's very much, you know, I mean, you know, very understandable by North Americans concept of, uh, I've got my rights and I don't owe anybody, anything. And Hegel obviously thinks that's insufficient. And he also thinks what he calls more, more morality, uh, which is sort of Kantian very much about, you know, your, uh, sort of universal laws and, uh, Conscience, and, and, you know, a bad conscience, very kind of Protestant. He also thinks that that's inadequate, and he's trying to replace that with cyclicite, uh, with uh, something that is uh, more, you know, determined by a community in its own way. Um, is not um, is not as abstract, is more uh, rooted. And Hegel, of course, thinks that's you can find that in the state. And what what Marx seems to be saying, young Marx seems to be saying, is you're not going to find that in the state. That the the state is really um, a product of this uh, bourgeois society that that Hegel thinks is inadequate, and the only way to deal with it is is um, is to move towards a socialist revolution. And you know, obviously, the later Marx doesn't talk like this, doesn't worry about these same kind of issues, and is more uh, concerned with political economy and and so on. But it's it's not clear to me that he ever abandoned this perspective. That um, is, so when when he talks about when he's when he has all the the uh comments that are sort of negative about justice or rights or or even morality um he may not be you know which i think would be a kind of um uh a self-refuting idea that he could be attacking all kinds of normativity but he may be he may be saying yeah th- th- that the that these very abstract and universalistic and not very rooted in in practice ways of thinking about um, uh, morality and right are, are the consequence of bourgeois society and will be overcome. And he wants to see them overcome with, um, and maybe even note see some of that already in the workers movement with, you know, norms based more on solidarity and, and, uh, and the production process, which is more, you know, concrete. So I, I wonder if, you, what, if, you, what you think about that, if you think that, um, he's, he's not attacking normativity as such, but he is attacking uh, the type of normativity that you do tend to see in uh, Western moral and political theory.
1: Yeah, uh, Sam, you want to uh, address uh, any combination that you uh, you want to start with?
0: Oh yeah. Um, so I think of the first, the first one I think is is an interesting. Uh, you know, like how how do you get break people out of neoliberalism. Um, I don't think, and I guess this will tie into the second question. Like, I don't think Marx is going to be able to give us so much direct help there because, you know, but he's going to be able to give us some insight in how to escape, you know, 19th century liberalism, uh, which, you know, for him is going to be a a class-conscious workers' movement. And presumably he's going to think the same about the 21st century, too. Uh, but, of course, that, that's going to look a lot different, you know. Um, we, we either have to, you know, invent a time machine to drag him back to the future, uh, which I don't know if that would actually be ethical. But, um, or, you know, we, we, would have, we have to kind of see how these ideas apply to the current context. And that's, you know... Um, but I, I do think that to, as a broad principle... Right, a, a class-conscious workers' movement is for Marx going to be essential. You just have to identify the specific issues. Um, yeah.
1: I would maybe, uh, I would maybe also just kind of uh, intervene on that to, you know, express one uh, one area of very strong disagreement with the first caller, which is that you know I think um, you know Vladimir Putin is is sort of the opposite of a of a enemy of neoliberalism. I mean, the guy was Boris Yeltsin's handpicked successor. He uh presides over like a gangster capitalist oligarchy with like dystopian levels of economic inequality. And um, uh, you know, just just recently started a war that involves a lot of uh working class Russians and Ukrainians uh having to kill each other. Uh but um putting aside that, you know, geopolitical disagreement, I mean I think the question about, you know, getting out of uh, neoliberalism I, I i mean i think in a way like what the call, first caller is asking about goes back to uh to to what you would had like some of what you raised at the very beginning right because it's like um and i mean i guess this so goes with what you just said about a class conscious workers movement that they have a that like clearly there is a sense in which um The thing that Marx thinks motivates people to, um, you know, motivates people to, uh, to, to, you know, take revolutionary action is, is collective self-interest. You know, that they, this is why, you know, making moral, addressing moral arguments to the ruling class isn't going to work. But, but there is an interest in sense here about like, okay, can you, I, I mean, I also actually, I would argue at least that I think it's very unrealistic that you're ever going to have a workers' movement that isn't infused with with uh, with with a moral sense a moral commitment. I mean, like you know, you you, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about solidarity. You know, I, th- I think that the um, I think that you you probably I think that the thing that's probably most effective is self-interest fused to. A strong belief that you have a legitimate complaint and you're being uh, and you're being treated uh, uh, treated unjustly, you know, because because if it's just that like you're, if it's just that you're being uh, treated badly, and it would be in your interest to change it, right? I mean, that doesn't necessarily point to collective action as your best way out. I mean, you know, you could always just like, um, you know, I mean, why not try to save up to start your own business or something like that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, it also creates a, a condition where, you know, the, the ruling class just has to use lethal force and it'll never be in your, you know, if, if you're the one uh, they're shooting at, you know, you're, you're probably going to give up pretty quickly if we're just looking at it in terms of individual self-interest. I mean, it is important, right? And, like, I mean, there are good egoistic arguments for, for communism. Um, but... Um, That doesn't seem like you need a bit more than that. Uh, I think one of the interesting things I I talk about, I guess, uh, that Marx does is that he, and I think Engels explains this, I think, a bit more clearly in anti-During, is that uh, different classes have different moralities and that, you know, morality is just kind of an an inevitable way that a, a class expresses, I mean, you know, interests are going to be a fundamental part of that. I think it's more than just interests, but interests are going to be like, you know, an essential feature. Um, But really, I mean, it's almost kind of like a, you know, way of life, way doing politics that comes out of the, you know, the standpoint of a class, you know, that's what the word angles uses uh, in anti-during. And I think you can see it pretty clearly in in capital when you get this debate about the working day, right? And from the capitalist point of view, from capitalist morality, uh, the worker ought to be able to decide whatever working day he wants, you know, because it's individual competition. And, you know, if he wants to work 16 hours, well, that's just his free choice. And who are the other workers to say that that's too long? Uh, Who are the other workers to say that there should be a eight hour working day, Um, you know, I'm sure there's still some libertarians, you know, if you go to like the Mises Institute or something, they may say stuff like that. Uh, wouldn't surprise me. Um, but, you know, the, the workers are going to have a fundamentally different viewpoint, a fundamentally different standpoint on this uh, because they're not going to understand it as just a case of individual exchange, right? It's 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 a class relationship that, um, they're, they sell their labor powers, individuals, but they, you know, are exploited collectively as a class and they're, they're able to understand that through their stack. Although, yeah,
1: I mean, the thing, the thing at the end of the working day chapter in Capital, the thing that, that Marx calls the, uh, modest mag you know, Magna Carta of the working classes, uh, you know, the 10 hour day. He also like spells out in the paragraph where when he calls it the Magna Carta of the working class that it's like the that it's achieved by limited uh, limited the freedom of individual workers. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I actually I, I quoted that in in my my dissertation because it's such a great passage. Um, you know, and the Magna Carta. I mean, it is a it is a normative contract, right? And here he, Marx is extolling it. You know, um, it's this great achievement of of, you know, working class efforts. And it, what's better about, you know, I mean, it, it ties together the interests, not only the employed workers, but also the unemployed workers. And, you know, one of the things that the, the class conscious standpoint of the workers gets is an alliance between unemployed and employed workers because employed workers are overworked so that, you know, you'll work like 16 hours a day uh, then the unemployed workers don't have a job at all. And right. It allows more surplus value to be extracted from an individual. Whereas, you know, if you have an eight hour workday, then you've got to distribute that work freely. That means not only do the people with jobs have a shorter working day, but it means there's more jobs for the people who are unemployed. Um, it increases the bargaining power of labor. So, you know, uh, but, but that's a tension with the fact that like, you know, just from a day to day experience, the, the, employed workers and unemployed workers are actually antagonistic, right? The, uh, the workers are, you know, lazy and also kind of a threat at the same time for the employed workers. And, you know, the unemployed workers would be jealous of the employed workers. Um, you know, and this is often a problem that you, you know, does come about historically, but then in a, you know, if the workers understand their collected, interests are actually able to you know if they're able to, to come to some understanding at a small standpoint you know um doesn't have to be total but as long as they understand their you know actual circumstance uh and the falsity of like the, the kind of bourgeois morality they're actually able to change this circumstance you know
1: yeah uh so so how about uh how about gareth's call the um uh you know, I think there was a suggestion in there that, um, and you know, I think, think Gareth's still on the line if you want to clarify. But I think that they have a that there was um, that uh, that he, that okay, even if like you know, Marx is um, you know not best read in the German ideology elsewhere as as sort of like being opposed to having normative commitments, right. To, to thinking that there, are, you know, that there are like good things we should fight for and bad things we should fight against, um, that, that is still sort of opposed to certain ways of thinking about, uh, morality that are detached from practice. And I, I don't know if this quite, um, you know, I, I don't know if this, this quite suggests, like, maybe even a sort of different objection to sort of thinking about, um, to sort of try to do moral theory about, you know, Marx's uh, normative commitments, or if it's just a sort of, or if it's just sort of a, a, a constraint on what would count as a as a kind of successful instance of doing that, you know. But, uh, but you know, one, one way or the other, you know, I, I, I wondered if you wanted to, to weigh in on that a bit.
0: Yeah. Let's. Um, so I can you repeat it? I think I, I got a little. I think there was like a disturbance here, and I got a little distracted. Uh, sorry about that. Um,
1: yeah, no worries. I I, I think uh, so. So again, Gareth is is still with us. If you wanted to say it again, but I, I think that the the there was a sort of claim that like uh you'd want to that like a reasonable way of some of what marx is up to in the german ideology and elsewhere uh is that um, you know he's not necessarily like you know he's not arguing against like sort of having normative commitments uh that, that would be silly but like he's arguing against like um, like certain ways of thinking about them or theorizing about them that are like kind of disconnected from, uh, from, from practice, maybe, I think was the, was the phrase. Yeah. Yeah,
0: no, that makes sense. And I think that's right. Um, so I mean, I think what he's really against as I understand it are axiomatic and sort of like trans historical moral claims. Um are these certain kinds of trans historical moral claims um, where they're they're just sort of like like an you know uh, absolute principle sort of disconnected from you know uh, yeah day to day life. Um, so You know, I think you know. One interesting example is you know he talks about um, is you know the the way the feudal morality saw itself as as absolute and universal and axiomatic, and uh, you know, um, and it it sort of understood itself as as fundamentally like a historical right, like literally, Uh. you know. Uh, Jesus is the Logos, right? Like the yeah. morality that they have is this, you know, kind of eternal, absolute uh, way of life. And um, I talk a bit in my, my dissertation about Don Quixote and how the figure of Don Quixote is is a, a satirization of this morality that seems so pure and absolute to, you know, people living a few centuries earlier. But by Cervantes' time, I mean, it's, it's just comically stupid, right? Uh, uh. I mean, you know, he means well, and he always tries to do well. Uh, and his, his principles might seem good on paper, but, you know, within their particular historical context, they, they have no real meaning. Um, but what does have meaning now, I think, you know, for, for Marx by that point, are bourgeois values. And, you know, they're, they're becoming more and more meaningful. Uh, we don't really live in a capitalist society yet, in you know, 16th century Spain, but you know, we're on that road, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then that that creates a new set of more principles that the bourgeois take to be absolute, uh, such as um, I don't know. I guess uh, one example might be, you know, Locke's idea about you know. Uh, the, the relationship between work and property you know um, or any of these other principles that, that emerge with, with early liberalism and they, they sort of seem also like they're completely timeless but if you drop them back 2,000 years ago it made sense to anyone living in that society um,
1: Right Yeah uh, and so there might, there might even be kind of like a I don't know, they kind of at all that, I mean there's sort of uh, maybe something like a like kind of a, uh, a moral uh, a moral version of the uh, the, the pessimistic meta-induction of the philosophy of science, which for people who aren't familiar with this, is basically the idea that, like, hey, uh, why should we be so sure? You know, we should be skeptical that we've gotten it right because all our past theories have always been refuted. Yeah. Um, okay, Let me. Uh, I'm gonna bring am gonna bring back in Gareth to see if he wants to to follow up on this. All right. And Gareth, if you did, you'd have to unmute yourself. Oh no! Okay, we lost him. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna take Brady. Oh no! Actually, sorry. Uh, we do have Gareth again. So we're gonna take one more. One more shot at getting him back. Yeah, I think the. I think I got I I think I got. Yep, there we
2: go. Right? Can you you hear me? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I just think I think he. um, I mean, I think one thing that's interesting is: does Marx have a moral, or does Marx have a normative objective objection to? I mean, I I think of. Both utilitarianism and, and sort of Kantian deontological thinking as sort of quintessentially bourgeois, right? You wouldn't, you you can't really imagine um, the ancient Greeks really thinking that way, or or some other, you know, anybody in in, in, in a free bourgeois way of thinking, because it, it's so. Um, it, it depends on the ways of abstracting that are either legalistic, in the case of the deontology, or are very uh, kind of you know, cost-benefit accounting uh, in the utilitarian context. And so I, I, I wonder if, if you'd agree that Marx um, you know, I mean, you know, you may think, well, okay, there's some historic necessity for thinking like this, but he's expecting it to be overcome and, and to be something that's more uh, concrete and, and more more like what Hegel was aspiring to, but without the Prussian state. Mm.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think that there's, um, I do think that like he's, he's hoping for a morality that's in a way not going to be systematic. It's not going to be reified the way bourgeois morality is. And that, I think that like the, you know, where you're talking about like eternal or axiomatic or transcendent moral principles or anything like that, where, I mean we're talking about reified principles, uh, usually i guess maybe, maybe not always but you know the, there's gonna be you know we're basically taking something that's true and um ascribing it to you know human nature or you know the, the nature of the cosmos or something when it's it's historic truth is entirely contextualized um and i think that like I was just thinking of this really interesting passage. Um, But I think it it speaks to this quite well and from On the Family, uh, where Engels says basically that, you know, um, people in the future who haven't been raised in a society where, you know, money is used to coerce women into marriage and, you know, uh, yada, 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 that they're not going to care about what kind of moral claims that people like Engels make because they're going to be so much more advanced than he is. So while he is going to be able to say some things, presumably he can make some negative claims about whatever this kind of, you know, a future morality might look like, um, like it's presumably not going to include coercion in marriage right uh he speaks highly of romantic love so presumably it's gonna put a lot of emphasis on romantic love but he doesn't make any claim about what kind of specific norms they're gonna follow like uh you know you can't just say like romantic love is is good i mean that is like a nice norm but you know that's not a system of norms built around or, or you know romantic love um so you know he's he's not gonna he doesn't give the specifics and what he's saying is right that the, the people who have been emancipated people who have haven't had their gender relations uh their you know uh, their sexual character um in a you know, moral sense of the term determined by a patriarchal system they're going to be people who've been emancipated and therefore they're going to have a, a far more advanced morality than anything engels could come up with which i think is, is probably important because you know, I mean, I can't imagine like Engels or Marx would agree with half of the, you know, or have been able to even understand like a lot of the moral claims we make about, you know, sex and, and gender today. Um, they would have just been alien to them, you know, and we, maybe we shouldn't hold them to that moral standard. It would be silly to um
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, Okay, I do want to, uh, I do want to finally, because I want to wrap up the next few minutes, so I do want to, I I do do want want to take take Brady. Brady, Brady, Uh, Brady, what's what's in your mind? mind?
4: What's up, Ben? First of all, just wondering if you had a chance to check out Slain Monarch, to check out the sick bass riffs your uh, doppelganger is laying down. No pressure. (laughs) That's just a fun one. Um, and I'm, I'm one of those ignoramuses, uh, admittedly that has, hasn't even read Marx and, um, that hasn't stopped me from formulating my own opinions though. And so I rely, I kind of outsource all my thinking to guys like you in these scenarios. And I'm wondering, um, what I've heard about communism is that it's, uh, a, or what I've heard about Marx is that he's a really good critic of capitalism but doesn't offer a perfect solution which is fine you know um and my kind of philosophy personally at this point is that what's better than capitalism or communism or socialism is a functional spectrum between all of those things where we can flexibly um switch between stages, uh, dependent on the circumstance of the context, you know, the the context or the circumstance of the situation. I'm just wondering what you think about that. Right.
1: Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Uh, so this is actually, I'm really glad that that was, uh, the question, uh, because, you know, it, it, it helped. I think this is like a good way of transition to what maybe I wanted to, um, you know, to end by you know, by asking you about, right? So, you know, you kind of talked um like you know what you know, so like what Brady is 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 raising, and Brady, I hope you do read some marks, uh the uh should uh, go to Marxist.org, Marxist Internet Archive. Enormous amount of marks uh, available for free there and in uh, good translations. But uh the um but uh, but you're not wrong that Marx doesn't talk very much about what happens after capitalism, um, and and I, I have and you know I I think this this might be uh, like I think this might actually be a good note to to sort of end our conversation for today on right because even though Marx doesn't talk a lot in a sort of nuts and bolts way uh, for the most part there are like bits and pieces here and there scattered throughout his writings about what a socialist society could look like i think some of what he was hoping for for that society is maybe even suggested in some of the things that you've you've said earlier i mean they have a um you know talking about education talking about the working day talking about flourishing like it, it sort of seems like something that like going straight from you know like i don't know the economic and philosophical manuscripts of 1844 where marx is worried, you know marx is like angry that people are supposed to spend all their time hustling to make their daily bread. And they don't have, you know, they can't like go to the theater and go fencing, and stuff like that Uh, up through capital where, you know, again, it spends all this time talking about the working day talking about the, the, the hours that are extracted from people by, by, uh, by capitalists. Like, like, how do you see, I guess, one way of asking this would be like this sort of, vaguely neo aristotelian idea about flourishing that you think is central to marx's ethics like like how do you see that as informing like what marx hopes a post-capitalist society will look like
0: yeah that that's a good question um i mean it is yeah it is tricky because like he actively like it's, it's not like he doesn't talk about it right I mean, he does talk about it, but he he avoids talking about it wherever possible. There's like a few places. There's a critique of the Gothic program. There's like a few handful of passages in Capital. There's a few bits earlier on, I think, in his writings. But he definitely does try to avoid it. Uh, But I think what you know, one thing that he talks about uh, is a there's a great passage. um, I think it's the German ideology but I always mess it up uh, about, you know, uh, hunting chickens in the morning and fishing in the afternoon. And uh, I mean, you can put any different jobs in. you just like paraphrase it freely, you know, still working in the morning. I mean, it could be anything. And I think that's the point that, um, you know, a, a truly emancipated society would allow you to, you know, not specialize in one thing and get this like, atrophy you know of all your other abilities except this one thing that you can do and it's really boring and pretty lame probably um, and I think there's there's another passage in, in Capital where he talks about it means that uh, you know the collective rational management of the uh, metabolism which you guess from this like a German chemist uh, but it's like uh, where the environmentalist Marxists kind of have have an in is this talk about metabolism. So he wants a rational, social, you know, democratic management of this metabolism and the distribution of the jobs that it entails, you know, widely across the population. Uh and he says that that's not the realm of freedom, but the realm of freedom is the you know the rest of it, you know, rest of our time, right? So we we try to minimize the the bad jobs right and distribute them as broadly as possible and then we spend the rest of our time on leisure socializing and uh presumably various types of labor that are far more edifying like yeah theater literature and stuff like that um and then there's the great you know the, the critique of the Gotha program where he talks about you know there's, there's like a lower stage where basically people are getting paid for if i recall correctly is a the lower stage people get paid by the amount that they work. Uh, maybe with some, you know, uh, uh, attention to how in demand the skill is. But the point is that people are getting, you know, it's, it looks equal, right? Uh, but then there's actually a higher form of equality, right? He rethinks thinks the quality as, in the higher stage is, you know, from each according to their ability to each according to their needs, which is this nice you know, almost kind of like, you know, Hegelian notion of equality that grasps the fact that, you know, everyone has unequal needs and capacities. Um, and so I think like, you know, those are the kind of core principles we could piece together some sort of picture, but it is going to be very minimalist. Um, yeah. I think he, he wants to let the, he wants to let the workers figure it out. And he almost like, it's like he, he doesn't think that he can accomplish the task anyway. It's so, outlining it, you know, like the workers in a hundred years will do a much better job than he can do today.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, I I think is an understandable and even kind of, and, and, you know, I think there's something very admirable and democratic about that attitude, although also I would question uh, whether we can quite get away with it now after the uh, experiences of the 20th century and, uh, you know, the sort of, Understandable skepticism that that leads leads people about uh, sort of future socialist experiments. I think now you might need to uh, uh, give people a more vivid idea. But I do want to uh, before we go. I, I know I said that was going to be the last question, but I know uh, George said in the chat he had a uh, question, a uh, quick question he wanted to ask you about Marx and Aristotle. So let's uh, let's do that before we go.
5: Hello, can you hear me?
1: Yep. Hi, George.
5: Uh, okay. Um, uh, by the way, Ben, I, I took your logic and politics class, like I think like a couple years ago. Yeah. And right now, yeah, right now I'm in. Uh, I I'm 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 on the track to like it, I'm kind of like a newbie, but <laughs> um, I'm I'm trying to like score in that major of philosophy. So right now I'm taking like some philosophy classes, and uh, Ben has been very instrumental in like. My uh, forming and my philosophical like maturity, I guess. But thank you for that. But, but anyways, um, I think this idea of Aristotle Marx is something that I come up um, that I, I discuss with like some, some colleagues in in my school. For like, I go to FIU, for example, and this is something that um, my professors and I have like talked about where it seems like um, Aristotle is like very for hierarchy, just like Sam um, brought up and the example that he brought up Uh, and um, Aristotle, but Aristotle does have this idea of flourishing and like what, what it means to be for a human to, to live a good life. And, um, and it seems like these ideas are like, like they contradict each other. Um, But, um, I also I also think that um, I I wonder if because th- um, my professor says that Aristotle is like more is like his his virtue epistemology is like interesting in a way, but um, it's too egoistic. Like it has this roundabout egoism in the case mm. of like you you'd practice these character traits, you practice these character virtues along with the intellectual virtues right and in a certain sort of way they're supposed to like be good but be only because it's towards your best interests to be the best virtuous person you could be um and i i was wondering um if would you would you consider aristotle like aristotle's like moral philosophy egoistic like do, do you think like it has like this like roundabout egoism? Because like in book five of the Neomachean ethics, like Aristotle does talk about, um, he he does say, he does hint at the the idea of like, we should practice these character virtues, not just for ourselves, but they're more valuable when they're practiced with other people, because that takes more skill. It's easier to be good for myself than it is to be good with other people and practice those virtues with other people. But Mm. what do you think about that?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think, well, one thing I was really, like, it was an important question, not only like this, the, dif- the similarities, but the differences with Aristotle, because there are important differences. So one thing is that, you know, Marx defines human nature as species being, which is a much more, I mean, this is like early on, at least, you know, he is going to, not going to define it so explicitly later on in his career, but You know, early on in species being, which is this very social notion where, you know, every, every, you know, what it is to be human is to be a member of the the human community. So there really is no flourishing independent of, you know, the human community. Uh, But it also means that I think for Marx, like human nature is, in a way, is a bit more dynamic than for Aristotle. So, you know, Aristotle considers human nature basically. You know, from the perspective of, a, and this is what Marx says, at least, in um, Capital, is that, you know, Marx, sorry, so Aristotle understands society from, you know, the position of the aristocrat. It doesn't understand how his aristocratic heritage is going to shape his his perspective. Like, he, he's not capable of doing, like, a historical class analysis and understand how his own nature is not, you know, the highest manifestation of human nature, but it's just a particular, like, historically, just one of many historically contingent instantiations of human nature um, that may not actually be really able to achieve flourishing, right? So for, you know, the bourgeoisie and proletariat as well, neither can ever quite fully flourish under a capitalist society. You know, obviously the workers can't, but even capitalists can't. But they're maybe in some ways blind to the ways that they can't. Um so, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question or if I got sidetracked <laughs> no, I
5: think I think that 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 that's interesting, like um, it's interesting to like think about what you said, um yeah, um, but I think you I think you got at the question. thank you thank you All right
1: uh, well, that's um. Yeah, so, I think we probably are going to cut off there for today, uh, but yeah, the uh, so Dr. Sam Badger's uh dissertation is Karl Marx on Human Flourishing and uh, Proletarian Ethics. Uh, we'll definitely uh, want to do a follow up conversation at some point because I think we we'll just scratched the surface of a lot of interesting things today. <laughs> but, uh, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thanks so much, Ben. Had a great time. All right.